Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, this morning we're starting a mini-series that we're calling Change It Something changes everything. Blank changes everything. Now that last question I just asked you, a lot of you probably said, oh, I don't know if I could have the same thing the rest of my life. I need to change it up, right? We're people who like to change things up. It might be if you think of your house, if you think of just when's the last time you wanted to or you did an improvement in your home. That's something that we do all the time. It's like you buy a house and you work on fixing it, remodeling it until you're done and then you start over again because now it's time to start over again It's because it's been so long. And so we're always changing things. And so this series that we're doing is going to lead into Easter and the week afterwards. And so we're calling it Blank changes everything because as people we like to have change and most of the changes we make we make because we want them to improve something and so what are the things in your life that you fill in the blank with we do fill in the blank with things like if we just have a new house it would change everything if i just get that promotion at work if i just get a raise if we could just have a perfect child if we could (laughs) If we could just, if I could just meet someone and have a, a relationship, if I could just, you know, whatever that might be for you, would, that will change everything. Now, the church answer, the Sunday school answer, of course we want you to say, well, Jesus changes everything. <laughs> and that is ultimately what we want to examine, but the truth is, even those of us who believe that tend to fill in that blank with different things. And so we want to prepare our hearts for Easter because ultimately we do believe that Jesus Christ and the work on the cross changes everything. And biggest thing is Easter morning when Jesus rose from the dead, that confirmed that everything he said and did was true and that ultimately changes everything. And we want to prepare our hearts as a church to celebrate that and we also want to be praying and asking God to bring people who need that blank filled in with Jesus. And so as we prepare our hearts and our church for Easter, that's kind of what we're going to be doing. But I also want to ask us this morning, would you be willing to honestly ask yourself the question, what do I put in that blank to say it changes everything or it would change everything? And take an honest look and say, what do I need to surrender today to the truth? Because I believe this morning that somebody is here who needs to hear this today. Somebody is here today, maybe on accident, maybe on purpose, maybe because someone told you you are coming with me, and maybe it's someone who's here every single week and believes this truth, but you need to hear this today. You need to be reminded of truth. I believe that God is speaking to someone here today, so I'm excited to share what we're going to look at. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. We're going to take a look at... uh, a story and what we're doing actually is stories this is Jesus's walk to Jerusalem before Easter he is on the journey and we're going to look at a couple of things that happen on the journey to Jerusalem or actually next week he'll be in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday but so we're going to look at what happened and this is Jesus's final journey to celebrate Passover when we get to Luke chapter 19 and we're going to look at a story that Maybe you know, maybe you don't know this story. It's about a guy named Zacchaeus, and we're going to see what did he put in the blank changes everything of his life, and how did that change with one encounter with Christ. So pray with me as we get started. 
God, we thank you again for this morning. I thank you uh, that you ultimately are the one who changes everything. That, Lord, we fill in the blank all the time, and sometimes we even fill it in with good things. But ultimately, anything other than you falls short. And so this morning, would you speak to me and through me? And Lord, for anyone here this morning who's coming and needing to hear this truth, would you help them here today? that we can walk out understanding you more. So we thank you for this time. Amen. In Luke chapter 19, I want you to imagine with me what this would be like that morning. It was in the town of Jericho, which is a resort city. It's a city of great wealth. Herod the Great had one of his winter palaces built in Jericho. Jericho was just a mile or so from the Dead Sea. It was at a crossroads of, of a highway that went north to south and one that went east to west. So it was a very populous city, uh, but with great wealth. And in this springtime, it, the weather would have been getting warmer. Anticipation would be in the air as they would be thinking about Passover, which was, on, which was coming soon. People would be thinking about what it meant to have a Messiah who would deliver the people of Israel once and for all, and restore and redeem their nation. And so every year as Passover came, the anticipation would grow. But this year it was different. You see, for the last few years, they've been hearing stories about this rabbi from Galilee named Jesus, who was teaching a new kind of teaching with authority. Rumors were he was healing the sick and and giving sight to the blind. Rumors was he was welcoming in the outcast. And he was changing everything. And people were saying, this rabbi seems to be fulfilling what the prophet spoke of the Messiah, born in Bethlehem, teaching in Galilee, teaching with authority. Could this be the Messiah? And so as this Passover approached on that nice warm spring morning, Zacchaeus knew something was different. And for Zacchaeus, he was described as a, Chief tax collector. See, tax collectors were often people, they were Israelites who decided they would work for the Romans, so they were hated by everybody. They were hated because they were tax collectors. They would charge tolls and and collect all the taxes as you went through. Often they would set their own fees so they could skim a little bit off the top. They were known to be cheaters often. But chief tax collector had many others working under him. And living in a city like Jericho, which was so wealthy, he would have been a man of great wealth and great power. So Zacchaeus had power. He had wealth. But he was rejected by his own people. Considered a traitor. Hated by his own countrymen. They would not have liked Zacchaeus. The Romans probably tolerated him, but also didn't really like him. But we do know something about Zacchaeus. It it appears that he was not a stupid man. He was pretty intelligent. Zacchaeus understood the law. We find later that it, it, it seems as he understood the laws of God. He understood Scripture. And so here he is, a tax collector, working for the Romans and wrestling with what that means to be an Israelite. What does this mean for him? And so that morning as he hears that Jesus is on his way, he wonders, could it be true what I hear about Jesus? 
Could he be the Messiah? Could he be the one that will change everything? Zacchaeus wanted to know more about Jesus. In fact, the thing he liked most is he heard one of Jesus' disciples was a tax collector. Not only did he not reject him, but he welcomed him in and said, you follow me. So Zacchaeus had an anticipation in his heart, a burning inside. One of those days when you wake up and you think, I sense just something. I don't know what it is, but something is going to happen today. And so that's the morning. That's the moment that we find Zacchaeus in. And as the crowds grew that day and the rumors started circling around and the crowd started chattering and saying, he's here, he's here, Jesus is coming, he's entering Jericho now, he's here. We see Zacchaeus now faced with a decision. You see in verse 3 of chapter 19, it says that Jesus wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to get a view of Jesus. He wanted to know, is this the one who could change everything? Says that he was short in stature. Now, actually, the Greek for that could mean that he was immature. But we tend to believe that it means that he was indeed short and he couldn't see for the crowd, so he ran ahead of the crowds. But now it's really interesting what happens to Zacchaeus here. There's something very strange about what he does because he wanted to see Jesus. It says he ran ahead of the crowds and he climbed a tree. He wanted to get a better view, so he climbed a tree. Now why didn't he just run ahead of the crowd and wait? There was something about this tree. Zacchaeus wanted to get a different perspective. He wanted to see who Jesus was. So he climbed the tree. How many of us sometimes want to see who Jesus is, but you want to get away from the crowd a little bit? You climb ahead. You run ahead. He wanted to see him, but he didn't want to be too close. What if Jesus is not the one who he said he was? What if he is not everything that the rumors said were true? So he wanted to climb the tree and get a different view. It's okay. (laughs) He wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted a view from the tree, though. I remember when I first became a Christian, I've, I've told you before, I was tricked into going to a youth event, and I saw these students who were singing and clapping and smiling to worship songs in church. That was weird to me. I never saw that before, but I saw that. And so for me, I wanted to see who Jesus was. Is Jesus really one who can make you act this way? Is Jesus really one who can bring you joy? But I didn't want to get too close. I wanted to run ahead of the crowd and get a view from the tree. Later that year, that youth group was going to Colorado on a ski trip and they invited me and Since I wanted to see who Jesus was, I went. It had more to do with skiing in Colorado, but I wanted to see. Maybe some of you are followers of Jesus already, but something's going on in your life and you feel like you need to run ahead of the crowd. 
You want to see if Jesus is everything he says, but you're afraid to be too close. What if he calls you out? What if he says, Zacchaeus, in the middle of the crowd, you tax collector, you sinner, you traitor, you need to repent. How embarrassing would that be? You know, one of the things that we find in ministry is often when we're maybe struggling with something in our lives, we like to get away from the crowd because we're afraid of what happens if the crowd finds out who we are. If they find out what's going on. I think Zacchaeus knew he was hated. He knew he was guilty. He wanted to see Jesus, but he didn't want to see him next to others. But here's the thing about Jesus is Zacchaeus is now sitting in a tree and he's looking ahead. Now some people think Luke was actually saying this is a picture of childlike faith. See, he did something that didn't make any sense culturally. A grown man ran ahead and climbed a tree. That's something kids would do. So perhaps there's something going on with Zacchaeus that's showing a little childlike faith. Whatever it was, I love the next part of the story. Zacchaeus is in the tree watching Jesus from a distance. And I think he's wondering, is that really the one who I've heard about? And they see how the crowds are swarming to him. They see the joy in Jesus' eyes. They see how he takes children in his arms without feeling annoyed. He looks like he truly is a man of compassion. Maybe that truly is the Messiah. And Zacchaeus As he watches Jesus, Jesus gets closer, and I love this part. Jesus passes his way. You see, often when we run ahead of the crowd, when we climb that tree, when we want to see Jesus from a distance, he comes our way. That's the way our God works. He comes our way. He doesn't say, oh, you over there, come over here and we can talk. No, he comes our way. He passes Zacchaeus' way. And he gets to the bottom of the tree. And do you know those moments when you're in a crowd and you kind of, you're trying not to catch eyes with someone, but you want to chat, you want to see, you want to look at them, and the last thing you want is to make eye contact? (laughs) Zacchaeus looks down and I have this picture of Jesus looking up and just stopping there and Zacchaeus is thinking, oh, I hope he doesn't look up here. As Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus, I believe that Jesus probably had this huge smile. This huge smile. Maybe even this shrugging of the shoulders like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Zacchaeus. See, at the moment he calls his name, two things happen. The first thing is this, is is Jesus cuts through all the titles in Zacchaeus' life and he calls him by his name because Jesus is very personal. He doesn't say, hey, tax collector. He says, Zacchaeus. We need to remember that Jesus is very personal. He knows you. He cares about you. He sees you in your moment. He comes your way and looks up and calls you by name. And then he says, Zacchaeus, come on down. Come down, Zacchaeus. So he comes down. Jesus with a smile, huge smile. As Zacchaeus hurries down, it says. And Jesus says, I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus. 
I'm coming and I'm going to have a meal with you. I'm going to get all up in your kitchen, Zacchaeus. <laughs> I have, um, my, my family's all from the Midwest, and so we have Midwest uh, characteristics of our family. And I know when my wife and I first got married, we would go visit in Minnesota, and, and I have like 23 cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents and all these different people who live there, people who I, I guess they're family members, I don't know, I've just been told they are. And, but you know, in the Midwest, I know that one of the first times we went there, I said, oh, I'm going to call my aunt and we're, we'll see if they're home and we'll go over to their house. And my wife would always panic and say, like, you didn't tell them like three weeks ago that we're coming? And, and it's like, well, no, I don't have to. She's like, there's no way they're going to be ready for us. I'm like, no, no, it's fine. They'll be ready. And, and so usually the morning we had time, I'd call them and say, hey, we're, we're passing through your, your town today, which, of course, would be like two hours out of the way because they're in you know, northern Minnesota. And, and our family would always say, that sounds great. Come over. What time? Didn't matter what time you say. Any time, day or night, we'd show up and what there would be, there would be a feast. No matter what. It was like Thanksgiving dinner. Every, like two in the morning, two at night, two in the afternoon, every time. I mean, whenever you come over, there would be a feast. And my wife would always just say, like, I don't get your family. <laughs> it's like they just, were they expecting us? And said, no, this is just how it works here. Because there's something about sitting at the kitchen with somebody. You see, they wouldn't just say, yeah, come over, we'll sit in the dining room, or we'll sit in the living room and have a cup of coffee for a half hour, then you go about your business. It was, come in the kitchen and eat. And we find out about your life. We find out, uh, uh, find out about what's going on. The first trip or two, it was to interrogate my wife. <laughs> but there's something that happens in the kitchen. And I love that Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over and I'm going to eat at your house. See, Jesus invited himself in to Zacchaeus' life. How often do we get this backwards? Jesus sees Zacchaeus. He goes his way. He calls him by name. And he says, I'm coming into your house today. Well, Zacchaeus is overwhelmed with joy. The crowds, they don't seem so joyful. The writer Luke says the crowds were grumbling. They were complaining. It's a Greek word that really is whining. <laughs> and they were saying, I can't believe Jesus is going to a sinner's house. Does he not know that Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector? Does he not know that he's a traitor? Perhaps some were saying, I was going to invite Jesus over. I had a meal ready. I can't believe Jesus is going to Zacchaeus. I bet Zacchaeus isn't even ready for him. They were grumbling. They were complaining. Probably nothing new to Zacchaeus as he heard that. He's still overwhelming just sense of joy that he feels and experience. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, half of everything I have, I'll give it to the poor. That's an interesting response. And if I've wronged anyone, I'll pay back four times what I've taken from them. This response is unsolicited. It's just this freely given response. Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and says, Today salvation has come to your house. Now it could be a play on words. Jesus 
His name means to save. Salvation is coming into your house today. It's a double meaning. But what has happened in Zacchaeus' life is evidence that his life just changed. And then Jesus proclaims something at the end. And he says, for you too are a son of Abraham. In other words, you are a child of God. You belong in the family of faith, Zacchaeus. You see, when this story began, I wonder what Zacchaeus thought would change everything. I wonder what was filling in the blanks of his life. Whatever it was, we know that it wasn't enough because he started off the story wanting to see who Jesus was. He wanted what he heard to be true. Maybe for a time in his life he was filling in power. Maybe it was wealth. Maybe his whole life, because he was short in stature, he felt like, I need something to validate me. But whatever was filling in the blanks at this moment, he realized that's not working. I need something more. I wonder if Jesus is the solution. We uh, were talking a couple weeks ago about this passage, and I love one of the quotes that came up was, this quote that said, God's office, is, God's office is at the end of your rope. <laughs> I wonder if Zacchaeus was at the end of his rope and what he found there was God's office. <laughs> Saying, hey, come on in. So there's a few lessons in this story that I think we can learn for today. And there are things that I think we often fill in the blanks with that this story, I think, reminds us don't actually change anything. So I want to look at a few of the lessons that we learned from Zacchaeus' life and make this a little more personal. Because it's always more fun to talk about what other people need to learn than ourselves. <laughs> but the first thing I think we see in this story is performance. Performance changes everything. What do I mean by that? In this story, we have the people who were religious enough. They were performing. They were thinking Zacchaeus certainly isn't measuring up to what God needs, but we certainly are. We're not sinners like Zacchaeus. Our lives, we, we're more holy and godly than him. But Jesus goes to Zacchaeus. And we find here that it wasn't anything about Zacchaeus' performance. It's about God's performance. Now, have we said that before at Seacoast? Have we reminded you a time before that this is about what God does, not what we do? Hopefully you will say yes, because we say it just about every week. But I don't know about you, but I like to drift back into performance. I'm an achiever. I like to get things done. I like to say what needs to be done, let's do it, and let's do it quickly. Now, I'm okay with saying I get that Jesus' performance on the cross saves me from my sin, and I cannot do that. I know that I can't save myself from my sins. I believe that. I embrace that. But I often slip into, I need to keep myself saved, though. I know, Jesus, you did the hard work, but now I'm going to do the other hard work by being faithful to you and performing and being good enough to earn what you've already done. And we find in this story that that does not fill in the blank and change anything. Performance doesn't change things. There's this interesting passage in Ezekiel 
It's in the Bible. <laughs> Ezekiel is a prophet who's writing in the, in the Old Testament about halfway through your Bible. I'll just read a couple verses for you. It's a little obscure here, but Jesus, or the prophet here, is speaking against the shepherds in Israel, and it's actually the religious leaders in Israel. And he said, you all as the leaders, you religious people are getting fat, meaning you're doing all these things for yourself to make yourself perform well before me, but you're forgetting about the mission of God. And you're, think, you're starting to make it all about you and what you are doing and how good you are. And he starts off and he and, and in verse 34, or sorry, chapter 34 of Ezekiel, he's prophesying against these people. And he says, Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, you've been feeding yourselves, but you're not feeding the flock. Now, he's saying, you're all about your performance, you're all about your appearance, but you're forgetting what God wants you to do for my people and how I'm working, how I'm on mission. And he starts to give this whole proclamation against these leaders. Now, in verse 15, I love where he gets to. We're going to skip most of it because he just repeats and repeats and says what he's doing. But at this, God says this, and I want you to hear this. I will, feed my, I will feed my flock. I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord. Verse 16, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the scattered. I will bind up the broken. I will strengthen the sick. I will do these things. <laughs> and he goes on, he says, but the fat and the strong, those of you who are all about your own performance, I'll destroy you see, because you're filling in the blanks of your life thinking it's all on you and about you, but I am the one who's going to come and reach the lost and heal the sick and bring back those who are wandering. It is about my performance, not yours. We like to fill in the blank and think God needs us to perform and we forget that that doesn't change anything. Now, does he want us to perform? I always feel, and, and this is actually my own insecurity that I feel like I always need to make a disclaimer here. And say, yeah, but we still want to be people who are seeking the Lord. Of course we do. But even by my saying that, what I'm proving is I keep slipping into this achiever mentality. Of God, you do it all, but I'll also join in. <laughs> I love this quote from a book, The Indwelling Life of Christ. It says this, The flesh within you has never ceased to love sin, and it never will. Given half a chance, your flesh will always manifest itself in corruption and in its de depravity. This is why the godliest of people still have the latent within them the most terrible potential for evil. It is the godliest of people who know it best. For the acknowledgement of this fact is the secret to their own godliness. I want you to hear this. The godliest of people have learned that character does not change for the better by improving the flesh but by, only by allowing it to be replaced by the Holy Spirit. Not your performance, but God's. The godliest of people have understood that the best thing we can do is to allow our flesh be replaced by the Holy Spirit. In other words, understand more and more how to surrender and let Christ live in and through you. Let His performance do the job, not you. It's not by improving your flesh. He finishes and says, it's only when you are honest enough to face up to these facts that you will have, on the one hand, a big enough view of what the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to do for you. And on the other hand, the desire to let him do it. 
Not until we understand that this Christian life is not about performing better for God. It's about allowing Christ to perform in us and through us. That's what changes everything. When we get that, we start to have a big enough view to understand what Christ did in the first place. It is so easy to think, you die for my sins and now I'll live to earn it. And that's not the truth. That doesn't change everything. Surrendering to the Spirit of God and let His performance be enough is what changes. Zacchaeus learns this here. See, there's nothing that Zacchaeus could offer to Christ at this moment that didn't change, that didn't draw Jesus down the road. It didn't have Jesus look up at him. It didn't have Jesus call his name and invite himself into Zacchaeus' kitchen. It was the performance of God. The next thing that we see here is that we often think titles or labels change everything. What are the titles we find here? Zacchaeus was described as a rich man. A chief tax collector. Short in stature. So there's a negative title that people were defining him by. Not that being short was negative, but in the culture this was not, the way that this was written was not complimentary there. It was immature is what it said. He also was labeled in this story as a sinner. Those are all his labels. What are the labels in your life? Recovering addict. Struggling in your marriage? Imperfect parent? Greedy? Struggling with depression? Lustful? What are the labels that you tell yourself day after day? What are the labels that others have put on you? Faithless? Skeptic? Doubter? Labels don't change everything. See, Jesus comes in and he shifts all that around. I love when he looks up at, at Zacchaeus and he re, redefines everything. And he looks and he calls him by his name. He cuts through all those labels that describe him. All of those things that gave Zacchaeus his identity. He said, forget about all those. You are a child of God. You are important to me. Forget about all that other stuff. Start to believe what God says about you is true. The titles in your life, they don't change everything. It's Christ changes everything. I remember when I first became a youth pastor, and I, I was pretty young, and when you're a young youth pastor, it, it's like a du- double whammy. Because... People would always say, I would even have parents say stuff like, hey, are any, are any adults going on this trip you're taking the students on? And, and I just got this jaded part of me where I used to say like, nope, just me and all the leaders. And they'd say like, well, you know what I mean, like re- real adults. <laughs> and like, no, because then it wouldn't be any fun. And then we would do like, you know, we, it would be, no. So I, I, I would get that all the time. When we started having kids, I would have people say the same thing. They say, no, I mean like parents. I'm like, well, I'm a parent. And they're like, well, no, no, not like you as a parent. But as any... And so as a youth pastor, you get this all the time. And it's really hard to not have that define who you are. And, and it made me very sarcastic in my response to most of them. Probably not really godly response. 
But then people would come up to me after some years and they would say like, hey, are you ever going to do real ministry someday in your life? And, and I used to, okay, I'll tell you, tell you exactly what I used to say. I'd say like, no, because I like to see kids give their lives to Christ and change and have a new course. And I like to really make a difference. So no, I don't ever really want to work with adults. Uh, and, and, and so, and they would just sit there like, uh, <laughs> I told you I had a lot of, I was short in stature. Okay. I was immature. <laughs> But those labels were cast on me all the time. And people would say, Do you ever, are you ever going to get a real job? And it was hard to not let that define who I am. There was a moment during that season too, and I said, I am happy to be a youth pastor for the rest of my life. This is what God calls me to do. But those labels would be thrown on me. Even as a, a pastor today, labels get thrown on us. Right now, you are all scoring this sermon in your head. <laughs> Every one of you. And when you're done, you're like, ah, that was okay. I liked last week better. If he fell off the ladder, that would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it is hard not to have those labels and those thoughts even go through my head of, is this week going to be good enough? Will this measure up to last week? We're on a teaching team, which is great for self-esteem, Right? Because someone else from the teaching team will teach and do a great job. And I'm like, oh, that was better. That was better than I did. And those labels try to define me. And I have to constantly go back and have Christ say, that is not what changes anything. What I say about you, Ryan, is what matters. You are a child of God and I care about you just like I care about my other kids. And that is, I gave my life for you. Would we let those labels quit defining us? Yeah, you have struggles. You're here today with struggles. You have issues. You are messed up. <laughs> I'm trying not to make total eye contact when I say that. <laughs> it's true. But God's defining you differently. He has a different title for you. And Jesus is what changes everything. The last lesson I think we hear here, and, and this is a little different than performance, and I, it's religion changes everything. See, the religious acts that we do, sometimes we think that changes everything. And here's what I want, this is what I mean and why I put this in here separately. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus encounters another rich man. And that rich man looks at Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus, or what command should I follow? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the rich man says, I do that. I do that perfectly. I've got religion down. I follow the law perfectly. So Jesus said, okay, then here's what I want you to do. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. And the rich man walked away discouraged and sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus says, it's very difficult for a guy like this to enter the kingdom of heaven, but with God, nothing is impossible. Now, the point of that story isn't that we should sell all we have and give it to the poor. It's not. 
The point of the story is this man said, I'm so religious, I follow the law perfectly. And I love the Lord my God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength. So Jesus picked the one thing that he said, okay, let me test you. Do you love the Lord your God more than your stuff? And the guy went away discouraged. Because he had the appearance of following the law perfectly, but the law couldn't produce in him the response of true love for God. The rules couldn't produce in him what we find grace actually produces in Zacchaeus. You see, because when Zacchaeus encounters Christ, Jesus doesn't ask for anything. But Zacchaeus actually proclaims, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. If he said, I'm going to give 100 bucks to the poor today, it would be the same thing. There was an overwhelming sense of joy. And then when he said, I will pay back four times of what I've stolen, that's actually a reference to Exodus chapter 22. If you steal someone's goat, you should give them four goats. I want you guys to make sure you're always following the law. All right, so... It's to pay back if you've stolen from anyone. And Zacchaeus indicates he understands that law. But notice the difference between chapter 18 rich man and chapter 19 rich man. One wanted religion to change everything and it didn't work. The other one encounters Jesus. And and the grace of God produces the response that the law couldn't produce. Encountering Jesus produce a response that being religious couldn't produce. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, I have it on the screen for you. It says this, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. At the right time, Christ came and he wanted to redeem those who were under the law. And this is a reference to the Old Testament law, to religion. To take you, to rescue from that that life and to give you adoption as sons, to take you out of that system. You see, religion doesn't change everything. An encounter with Christ and his grace is what changes. So as we end our time here today and start just kind of a, really short series called What Changes Everything, I want to ask you this question. What are you putting in that blank and saying, if only this will happen, then everything will change? And are you willing this morning to say, God, I want to hold this open before you and I want to trust you and I want to believe that you change Everything. The game's not on for another hour. It's fine. You can <laughs> what fills in that blank for your life? What are you willing to surrender here? And say, Jesus, I'm sorry I've been putting that in the blank where you belong. I want you to be in that blank for my life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we end our time. And as we end with this last song, I want to just have a spirit where we just are a church who can surrender like Zacchaeus. To remember that Jesus passes our way. That he looks up in our tree. 
and gives us a new way. And maybe you have some friends too that you're thinking of and people in your life. We just need to be praying for them too as we think of Easter. We all know people who are filling in the blank with other things. Let's be a church who's modeling that only Christ fills in the blank of our lives. And let's be a church that's calling and praying and asking God to use us to help others learn this too. So let's pray and end our time. God, we thank you so much for this. This morning, I thank you for the reminder that my performance, the labels on my life, and even my religious deeds, they don't change things. I thank you that when there's times I walk and climb the tree because I want to see you, but I don't want you to get too close, that you always come close. And you look up and you call me by name. And God, you pursue me and you pursue everyone in this room. And I thank you so much for that truth. And so I ask God now that you would move in this place. You would transform our lives. You would help us erase whatever we put in that blank and put your name there. And trust that you are the one. And so we give you this time now, God, and and just ask that you would shape our hearts and our lives. Amen.